Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message comes from the third week of Advent. So far in this Advent, Pastor David Cartwright has examined what hope and peace mean to Christians during Advent and the rest of the year. This week, he turns to the concept of joy. Joy can be found throughout the Bible and in countless Christmas carols and Christian hymns. At this time of year, we are constantly reminded that Jesus brought joy to the world. But what is that joy? How is that different from happiness or contentment? How should we see that joy in our daily lives? That's what our sermon today is about. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture this morning to Isaiah chapter 61, the first of the many prophets listed in our scripture. If you don't know where to find Isaiah, uh, just start right in the center of your Bible and that your, your Bible should fall open to the Psalms and then work your way toward the back just a little ways. Isaiah 61. And we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 3 and then verse, verses 10 and 11. I went back and forth this week on how many verses I wanted to include in the reading. I started short and then I went long and then after the bulletin was printed I went short again. Sometimes I just have trouble making up my mind. But that's where I am right now. So we're going to read... From Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 1, read with me if you would. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then if you would skip down to verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, my soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, he has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, in these moments, may our hearts and our minds be open before you, that we might know your presence, that we might hear your voice. Give me grace, Lord, to speak words of your truth spoken in simplicity, seasoned with grace. 
that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we give you praise and glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We come to this third week of Advent, celebrating a season, a season of hope, a season of peace, and a season of joy. Do you feel joyful this morning? Well, good. If you do, then wonderful. If you don't, that's okay, too. We come to rejoice, to do what the Scripture has told us to do, to give praise, to rejoice in God. And we come to this 61st chapter of the prophet's writing, in which the prophet speaks about rejoicing and uses some very powerful celebrative language. I love the imagery that the prophet uses, and really that's kind of where I want us to focus this day on that imagery that we find here, not only here, but woven in so many places in the Bible where where celebrating is described in, in, in the imagery that is used. Uh, the, the prophet writes in verse 3, uh, giving them a garland, if you will, the, that which you would wear on, on your head instead of ashes, oil of gladness. We, I think sometimes the imagery of the Bible loses something from first century Eastern culture to 20th century Western culture. We think of the oil, and we don't appreciate what that would have meant in its original context. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. The symbolism of celebration. And that's, that's nothing foreign to us. There are so many times when we use imagery, we wear clothing, we put out decorations, all to symbolize that we are in the midst of something festive, something celebratory. I think of graduation ceremonies, and in my mind, especially those ceremonies of uh, recognizing those who are getting master's degrees or doctorate degrees, and you have all of the pomp and circumstance with different colored robes and, and cords and stoles and hats and all of the things that, that symbolize that which is being celebrated that day. Or weddings, you know, weddings. We still go, go, uh, sometimes, uh, well, I mean, it wouldn't be for me to say overboard in some cases, but it probably is, isn't it? Some, we just don't. We, we pull out all the stops. We put out the candles and we decorate and we, and we wear things, all of which is just to symbolize, to say we're celebrating something. I remember when, uh, when I was privileged to take my last trip to the Holy Land, in our first night in Jerusalem, when we got to the hotel where we were staying, it's a large hotel, lots of big dining areas, and several, several of those dining areas had been uh, petitioned off for a private event. It was a, a large family that was gathering, and I would say quite large with family and friends. I'm wanting to say that one of the hotel staffs told me it was a bar mitzvah, but I'm not sure I'm remembering that correctly. What I do remember is that you could easily tell the spirit of what was happening in that room. A few of the doors were open, and so you could look in. 
you, you could hear what was going on in there. Even when we went to dinner and we were in our dining area, you could still, even though it was petitioned off, you could hear the noise of what was coming in there. And I, I remember the impression of thinking, that's what it's like. That's what it's supposed to be like to be part of God's people. It's festive. It's celebratory. The whole idea that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a life of somberness is just not accurate. God has made his people to be festive, to rejoice. And when the prophet Isaiah speaks to the people, he looks forward to a time past the time of judgment, to a time of redemption, when people would celebrate, God's people would celebrate who God is. And that's why the, there, there's that imagery in verse 3. That's why also in verse 10 where it, it, the writer says, He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Like a bridegroom uh, decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself with jewels. God does this for his people so that we might have those expressions of celebrating what God has done. The outward expressions are important because they remind us of who God is and what God does. And that's why Advent expresses joy because it reminds us that not only of what God has done, but what God will yet do. Because we are always people who look back and look forward. God has redeemed, God is still redeeming. And we look forward to the fulfillment of that redemption. And that's where, that's where our rejoicing is grounded. Our ability, our calling to rejoice is rooted in the fact that God is a redeeming God. God at one point, even though the prophet Isaiah spoke to a nation who would only look forward to it, he told them, God is going to redeem. God is going to restore you. And that, that's why uh, we didn't read verse 4, but in verse 4 the prophet says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up former devastations. They will repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And you know what? They did. They did. When the time came and the people were restored, they came back to a city, to a territory that had been laid waste. And do you know what they did? They rebuilt it. They, they rebuilt that which had been torn down. And you can go to Jerusalem today, you can go to that holy land, and you can see the marks of where things were rebuilt. You can look at walls that had been so, so much torn down, you can say, down here, you know, this is where it was older, here's where it's been rebuilt. You can see time after time, place after place, where, where God's people had come back and rebuilt that, that which has been destroyed. The, the fact that we can rejoice is grounded in the fact that God rebuilds. Even from seasons of destruction, even in, in, in seasons when we have been devastated, God is a rebuilding God. And that's why Jesus comes along. 
And you, and you read over in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue and he takes the scripture. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. And when he opened it up, guess what scripture was there? Isaiah 61. And he began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he read these words. And then he turned to the crowd. And do you remember what he said to them? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Part of what must have sounded strange to them was, well, wait a minute. Didn't God already come? Didn't God restore our nation back when we came back from Babylon and Jerusalem and the temple re were rebuilt? And of course, the answer to that is yes. But what the prophet said had a deeper and more rich meaning than just the restoration of those people at that time. Jesus comes and he says, today, in me, in my person, in my ministry, God is going to fulfill what he intended to. He's going to take what he did for the nation, take it more broad because it would be for all the Gentile world, and take it more deep. Because Jesus showed up to bring restoration to us on a personal level. You see, this is what we, re we remember at Christmas time. The fact that God came to us in the person of a small child as a redeemer. That small child would grow up, go to the cross of Calvary, give his life for us, so that God would say to us, you can be renewed in Christ. That's why we have reason to celebrate. And we are called to celebrate. Now, the reality is, sometimes we feel like celebrating, and sometimes we don't. True? Do you always feel joyful? Well, let's just be honest. I, I don't. I don't always feel joyful. I like it when I feel joyful, but I don't always. It's very interesting to me that the Apostle Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer as fruit. It's a great analogy. You find it in Galatians chapter 5 in a very familiar passage where Paul talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you know, throughout that whole list, we could pause at so many of them and say, well, I don't always feel, I don't always feel overflowing with love. I don't always feel joyful. I don't always feel like I have peace in my life. I don't always feel patient. Tell me nobody said amen. But yet, those things are described as a, a natural product of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Fruit is a great way to describe that because fruit is something that a plant or a tree produces naturally. Okay, If a plant or a tree is healthy, it produces fruit. If I came across uh, a, a fruit tree 
that was not producing fruit, it would be very uh, presumptuous of me to uh, criticize the tree without first asking what the condition of the tree is. Oh, you worthless tree. Why aren't you producing fruit? Well, there are a lot of conditions that might keep the tree from producing fruit. And by the way, I'm, I'm not, I'm not plant worthy. You know, this is not my specialty. So don't, don't hang me on the details. But, you know, I could look at the tree and say, well, gosh, maybe there are worms that have infested it and, and have eaten it up. Maybe that's affected the health of the tree. Maybe there's a, a blight that's come upon the tree. Uh, some disease. Maybe there's something going on with the soil. Maybe the root system isn't healthy. There are a lot of things that, that might change the condition and inhibit the production of the fruit from the tree, right? Just the things that would make the tree less healthy. In which case I might say, okay, now, you know, we can, I can intervene on behalf of the plant. I can try to do that which will help the plant become worthy or, or healthy. But to just say, you know, if, if there's not fruit coming forth, there might be reasons for it. And you know, the same is true in our lives. There are sometimes conditions in our lives that can make it more difficult for those fruits to come out, joy being one of them, right? And I recognize that at this time of year or at any time of year, we find ourselves in those, with those conditions, don't we? And, and you know what? The Bible is so honest about that also. The Bible recognizes that there are times when we don't feel like uh, you know, expressing you know, that, that joy isn't within us. Let, let me share an example with you. You would find this in Psalm 137. If you want to turn and look at it, you're welcome. Uh, you don't have to turn very far back in your Bible. Psalm 137 is a song. It's, if you have a, a Bible that uses uh, chapter headings, uh, yours would probably say something like a psalm or a song from captivity. Uh, the psalm starts out by saying, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Okay? If you're Jewish, you don't want to be in Babylon. Just a little hint, Christians, you don't want to be in Babylon either. That's another sermon. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then in verse 4 is this powerful question, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Can you feel the burden of the psalmist? How can we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? I, I, I can appreciate the heaviness in that. You've taken me away from my joyful place. You've removed me from the conditions in life where it was easy for me to celebrate, to be happy. How am I going to sing the songs of joy? There are so many places in the Scripture 
where the people are just brutally honest about that. My conditions have changed. And yet that's one of the great tensions of the Bible. That recognize, recognizes that we find ourselves in the midst of life when we don't feel like celebrating because joy doesn't spring up. And yet, we are encouraged to rejoice, to express joy and celebration because of who God is. Let me share another passage with you from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, you'd have to turn further back to this. In Nehemiah chapter 8, and by the way, the, the, the historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah kind of go together. They, they talk about the period in his, Israel's history when uh, God has brought those people back from Babylonian captivity. Uh, Jerusalem is being rebuilt. The walls around the city have been rebuilt. The temple is being restored. Uh, and, and you might think, well, why does Isaiah look forward to that? And Ezra and Nehemiah account that because... Ezra and Nehemiah are before Isaiah in the Bible, and you have to remember that your Bible is not laid out all in chronological order, which makes reading it challenging sometimes, but that's why. Nehemiah chapter 8 uh, is, is a chapter where the walls have been rebuilt. Nehemiah was kind of a, a political ruler, uh, sometimes called a governor of the people. Ezra was a priest, and Ezra stands before the people. Uh, they're assembled in Jerusalem. And he reads from the book of the law. They've gotten the scrolls of uh, the, the book of Moses, the books of Moses. Ezra has read to them for hours. The people have responded. They've worshipped. They've put their faces to the ground. They've, they've, they've given God praise. They're struck to the heart. They're, they're repenting of their sin. And, and they're weeping. Okay? Uh, and in verses 9 and 10, it says, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's just that last phrase that I want to stick in your mind. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He said to them, even on a day when it would have been right for them to express repentance, grief, remorse, they are told, no, no. Rejoice. Eat the fat. It's all it's imagery, but he's saying, celebrate. This is a day when we celebrate God's restoration. God has brought us back. Celebrate because your strength comes out of the joy of the Lord. So even in times when our hearts feel heavy, God's people are called to rejoice. 
to put on the garments of praise, the garland, to adorn ourselves as people who celebrate because God is worthy of our praise. And it's in those outward expressions that we are reminded that God will give us something inwardly that can't be taken away. It truly cannot be taken away unless we allow it to. Most of you would be familiar with the uh, age-old story that we remember at this time of year called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Do you remember that? It doesn't matter whether you think of the Jim Carrey version or the original cartoon. You remember the Grinch, right? And the people who were called the Who's. The Who's celebrated Christmas extravagantly, big time. They, they withheld no expression of celebrating Christmas. The Grinch couldn't stand Christmas. He didn't like all that happiness going around. And he contrived a plan that was based on the idea that if I can just take away all of those tangible expressions of their celebration, then I will steal their joy. It's not worded that way, but that's really what he wants to do, isn't it? He wants to steal their joy. And so on Christmas Eve, he sneaks into town and he takes every last piece of tinsel, every last light on the tree, every needle from the pine tree is gone, every gift, every piece of wrapping paper, every morsel of food from the refrigerator, everything is taken away. There is no thing left that would be labeled an expression of Christmas celebration. And he waits on the next morning up upon that miserable mountaintop of his so that he can hear the wails and the moaning of sorrow from the town. And what does he hear? Singing. Singing. It's remarkable what a... Christian message is embedded in that story because those who's express something that no Grinch could take away. A deep-seated joy of the coming of the Lord. Now, I realize that that's not really written into the story. But isn't that what Christmas does? It's to remind us that when God comes to us, you see, joy and hope are so closely woven together. 
Because we can be reminded, even in seasons when our hearts are heavy, even in seasons when we might feel like the psalmist of Psalm 137, when we think, how can I sing songs in this foreign land? That God shows up and says, remember, I'm a God of restoration. I rebuild. I put back together. And if I am Emmanuel, God with you, I'm not done yet. You can still celebrate, even in a time of sorrow. It's a good question for us. Maybe 2020 is a particularly good year to ask about what is it that seems to be keeping me from being joyful? What are those things that are wanting to steal my joy this year? It's okay to recognize them, to confess them, and to embrace them. But don't forget that God calls us to rejoice. Because when we rejoice, we remember the depths of God's goodness. And it's there that we find our blessing. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, even in still moments, we celebrate you. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit will abide so richly within us that the fruit of joy will rise above all of the troubles of our life. And so I pray, God, for all of us, and I pray especially for those who find it difficult to be joyful. I pray, God, that you would light that fire, that you would cause that fire, that, that light of joy to shine, that it would overcome the darkness within us, that it would overcome the darkness around us, and that we might truly be able to gather now and at other times with, with others called by your name to adorn ourselves with expressions of celebration because of who you are coming to us in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We praise you for it, we give you glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.